0: Blog Talk Radio. It's the Burger Shop. the Burger Shop. It's the Burger Shop. Shop Podcast, the one that you heard about. Talking sports media, buzz and the word of mouth. Social is the currency, seeing what the buzz will be. Talking sports and culture, you never know what'll be. Coming next. Cause that's the type of podcast you listen to. How about a hyper? Brands who the man? Yo, Ryan at the forefront. Got it on my iTunes. Walking through the storefront. Listen to the broadcast. touches almost anything. Sports, culture, media, technology, and marketing. So listen to the man right ahead of his time. On your podcast, you can download or listen live. So here comes the podcast. Here comes your host. The Burger Shop. Now live from coast to coast. In any way you want to do it, listen to the show. Ryan got the insights. Burger Shop, you know?
1: We are back. This is Ryan Berger. It is a cold, rainy Thursday morning in New York. Welcome to another edition of Inside the Burger Shop, a discussion, a podcast at the intersection of sports, technology, culture, marketing, and more. I'm Ryan Berger, taking you through the next oh, 60 minutes, a discussion with the great Costa Kennedy, uh, the Sports Illustrated writer, baseball expert had him on earlier in the podcast season, and we will be joined uh, in a little bit by Costa and looking forward to having Costa on the show. Before we bring Costa on, just a couple of quick things. Of course, thanks to Showtime and Brian Daly for coming on yesterday to talk about all the great work that Showtime and Brian is doing, some unbelievable content around Florida State football, uh, some of the basketball documentaries with Ben Simmons and Allen Iverson. Victor Cruz from the Giants. So great stuff coming out of Showtime. Thanks to Showtime and Brian for coming on the show yesterday. As I mentioned, this is the first time we've done three shows in a row. Uh, As I said, we'll have Costa on momentarily today to talk about his new book, which is an absolute game changer, as well as the first two games of the World Series. And then we'll be joined tomorrow by the NFL Network's Mark Kriegel, uh, a regular on the show, Football extraordinaire. And we'll talk to Mark about some of the key storylines going on in the NFL, some of the work he's doing specifically around boxing, a project in Thailand, um, and he wants to talk a little bit of hoops too. Mark's a big hoops guy. I'm sure he has some point of views on what's going on with Golden State and Durant and the Knicks and others, so we'll let Mark do his thing when it comes uh, to hoops. Thanks to our partners, Hyper, for uh, helping us put our show on. Hyper is the uh, founding partner of Inside the Burger Shop podcast. Hyper is the leader in celebrity and influencer information, audience demographics, with over 4 million influencers on their platform. Go over to Hyper Brands, H-Y-P-R, brands.com. Choose an influencer, a celebrity that you want to work with identify them, reach out to them directly, and make a campaign happen. Influencer marketing, the most powerful form of media in the world. So thanks so much to Hyper for all their data that they provide for us on the show. And thanks to the CrowdsLine, a new partner of the show. And head over to thecrowdsline.com. Make your prediction today. The leader in predictive gaming. Win prizes. It's free to head over and make your prediction. Head over to thecrowdsline.com and make your prediction today. And, of course, our latest partner, Pita Express, down on Ann Street in Manhattan. The best Mediterranean food and hummus in New York City. Head on down to... PETA Express, let them know you've listened to the podcast, you're inside-the-burger-shop fan, get yourself a free hummus, mention the show to the owner, Billy Kotler, and Mr. Kotler will take care of you. So, cold, rainy, gross day in New York, head on over, throw a little bit of that habanero sauce on the hummus, and really enjoy yourself. So, uh, great spot, thanks to all of our partners for uh, being a good part of the show, and obviously last night was... um, It was interesting, the baseball game, a long game, they moved the time up, not too exciting of a game when it comes to back and forth, and uh, we're joined by really an exceptional writer and one of the great baseball minds out there today in Costa Kennedy, and I can't tell you how much I appreciate you coming back on the show, Costa, how's everything? Costa? A little bit of technical difficulties here with Costa Kennedy. Let's see. Hello, Costa? Hi, Costa? A little bit of technical difficulties here with Costa. We will uh, try and get him back on shortly. But as we were talking about the – Last night's game was a, a game that uh, featured just not a, lot of, not a lot of back and forth, um, a lot of sort of sitting around, pitching changes, Garrieta domina- dominating the game, not a lot of uh, back and forth. Indians had to get game one, didn't really have anything in game two. Um, bullpen was really, really taxed. Um and you know what you saw from the Cubs is they're just a big time team. Uh they are absolutely loaded um with all kinds of players, all kinds of uh, all kinds of guys who can step up to the plate and really really make it happen for them. Um we saw obviously the Schwarber stuff which is which is really something that you never really see before. You know, a guy like that who's been out for seven months is able to come back and not only do well, but potentially is the MVP of the series. I mean, you can't get the guy out unless Andrew Miller's pitching. And even in that case, it's it's a tight uh, back and forth with how good uh, Schwarber is. Um, And then, of course, you have the... Incredible depth of the pitching on both sides, but specifically on Chicago's side. Arietta going last night, no hitter through five and a third, really looking strong. Um, and, you know, it was interesting to see what Tito announced. Every starter will be on three days rest. Last night's the first loss that Tito has ever had in the World Series. Um, so once Costa comes back on and we had a little bit of technical difficulties, I'm not sure what happened, we will – uh, discuss Game 1 and Game 2 and a couple other things around baseball so that we can give you a sense of what uh, to expect in Wrigley um, and then a little bit on you know what to expect in the off season. the Yankees had a really interesting uh, season this year the Mets of course with Cespedes opting out so we'll We'll wait to talk baseball and talk about all that once Costa comes on. In the meantime, I quickly wanted to touch on, you know, what I saw last night in the in the, in the the league, and that's, of course, the, the NBA, and um, just a couple of notes that I had taken as I watched some of the games. And first is, you know, he was banged up last year. You didn't really get to see the real AD, but Anthony Davis is one of the three best players in the sport. Uh, what a new performance last night. 50 points, 15 rebounds, blocks, steals. Uh, the guy literally does it all on a team that stinks. Um, really, just a big, big, big time player. The thing about Anthony Davis is if, if he can stay healthy, will he stay in New Orleans? Eventually, as these teams start to be to sort of swirl over him and, and and try to grab him, and you've heard some stuff around Miami and, and Riley. I'm sure there's other teams that are angling for Anthony Davis. Uh, but this is a guy who, who can do it all. He's incredibly young, just about seven feet, and he was special last night. So a huge night for, for A.D., um, And uh, anybody who played DraftKings and had Anthony Davis, of course, felt really good as they uh, went to sleep last night. The second game that I thought was a really interesting game was what we saw with Oklahoma City and Philadelphia. I I just think Oklahoma City is going to struggle this year. Uh, compared to what they had with Durant. They're, they're just not deep. They lost not only Durant, but a guy like Deion Waiters. And Deion Waiters isn't a big-time player, but he is a scorer. And they have a problem, Oklahoma City. They, they can't put the ball in the basket. So it'll be um, interesting to see as they continue to go through, can they find somebody who can help put the ball in the basket? Because when you look at their starting team with Stephen Adams and – some of the other guys in the lineup, they're just going to struggle to, to 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 score. They'll defend you, but with Westbrook having an incredible night last night, the question is, does Westbrook have to have superhuman nights every single night for them to win? And and the answer is yes. Last night he was sensational. Uh, down three and four, three or four points in the fourth quarter, made a couple of gigantic shots. He just is a a a. Clutch, big-time player, but he's going to have games that he struggles. He's going to have games that he can't make shots, and uh, and Westbrook is clearly one of the best players in the league. Uh, and what we saw last night in a jazzed-up, excited uh, Sixers arena, where for the first time in I don't know five or six years they actually competed, and we have not seen that from Philly. We've seen just losing and tanking. But they actually competed this year uh, they did Last night And the big reason why they competed Was the finally the arrival after two years Of two guys One is Dario Saric a big man from Europe, plays the three or the four, can shoot it, can rebound, really hustles, and he has not come over for the last two years, but did come over and made his debut last night, and Sarek can play. We saw it a little bit in the international games, in the Olympics. He can really, really play, and uh, and with him combined with Joel Embiid, and Embiid was sensational last night. On a minute restriction, uh, throwing the ball to him in crunch time, hitting jump shots left and right, Really just a big-time uh, night from Joel Embiid, and clearly Joel Embiid is is, a, is going to be a, a very, very good player for the Sixers um, and hopefully can stay healthy and, and stay on the floor. And just a couple other notes that I had written down, and we'll be joined by Costa in one second, and that is uh, how exciting the Lakers were last night. Uh, young, up-and-coming, point guard, D'Angelo Russell, Ingram, the second pick coming off the bench, they – beat Mike D'Antoni's Rockets on ESPN last night. Look, they might win 30 games, Luke Walton, new coach, but they're exciting, they're fun, and they have a lot of pieces to build around. So if you're a Laker fan, obviously with the post-Kobe era, uh, it has begun and has begun in a really good way. So kudos to all of the Lakers uh, fans for being apart and staying up last night and now we're joined and just so grateful to be joined by one of the great baseball minds um uh, in in the media and out there today and in Sports Illustrated at writer and baseball extraordinaire Costa Kennedy making his second appearance on inside the burger shop Costa how are you sir
2: Ryan i'm doing well how are you doing
1: I'm doing well. You know, I'm doing well. It's, it's such a great time of year as a huge sports fan with the NFL and college football and baseball. Yeah, no kidding. And with, the, with, with the with the classic now, and there's just so much going on. And, you know, we'll, I'd like to get into the bucket a little bit, but before we get in, I want to quickly talk about, you know, what we've been watching and seeing. And, you know, you were on the podcast before the season, and you had predicted in either Houston or Toronto out of the AL and, and the Cubs out of the NL, so you were... Uh, mm-hmm. Right there in your in your selections. So, you know, we're two games into the to the Fall Classic, uh, two very very different games and two very very different results. You know, give us your thoughts on what you've seen so far. Well,
2: I mean, it's been first of all, like, however, these games haven't been that close, but there's still a lot of tension in them. It feels like every run matters a lot. Last night was an unusual game just because of how cold it was. The weather was such a factor. Um, and seeing you saw that a little bit in the sort of sloppy play in the field by the Indian um, And Jake Arietta who ended up looking great on the score sheet Actually, he felt like he wasn't really in command He was having trouble uh, commanding his pitches He was getting behind a lot of batters and all that um, Listen, the Cubs are the better team Does that mean they'll definitely win the World Series? Of course not You know, it's a best of five And you know, uh, the, the Braves can beat the Rangers in a best of five or whatever it might be, but um, they're definitely the best team, and they're in they're in a good position. Uh, obviously, going home to to Wrigley for the next three.
1: You know, it's interesting as we look at something like Game One. You know, um, Kluber dominates the game. The Cubs bats mm-hmm. really, really struggled. Didn't score a run. You know, Cleveland clearly has a very, very specific formula. Starters hand the ball off to Miller, and then you know back into the the bullpen. You know that that mm-hmm. that game one is exactly how Cleveland needs to do it to win. Tito nine and one mm-hmm. now in the in the World Series. You know can they keep up with that? Method and, and the way they're doing things with such short turnarounds in such key every pitch is, you know, it's not like the regular season where you're throwing these pitches and, you know, it's not that big of a deal. The tension is so big every pitch. Can they win four games like this?
2: Well, it's a, it's a really good question, though. Know, I think if they're for the, I don't have a rooting interest, but if you're the Indians, the silver lining for last night is that you didn't use Miller. Um, you didn't have to go tax that bullpen. You know, Andrew had pitched uh, forty-five, thrown forty-five pitches, or forty-six pitches the, the day before. Uh, so you know, you you can use these guys. You can rely on them, and sure, they can win that way. You know, if they they their goal is to get to, the, you know, middle of the sixth inning, or get to the seventh inning with a with the lead, and then they feel they can they can shut them down. Um, that the first part of that equation is going to be a little difficult. The Cubs are a a seriously powerful team, as were the, as were the Red Sox, um, obviously offensively. Um, But we, but you know, they, they can get there. We're going to see what they get out of Tomlin. The, the, decision to bring Kluber back, assuming he sticks with that, I kind of get that. I'm not totally sure about bringing Bauer back in game five, and we'll see if if Tito comes off of that or not. Um, He just obviously he struggled a lot last night. He's the type of pitcher... Uh, kind of gets a lot of the middle of the plate, throws in the low to mid-90s that the Cubs can really do some damage on. So I, I'm not sure if what they're going to want to do in Game 5. I think they'll probably still evaluate that. Um, but, look, if you're Cleveland perspective, you're saying, obviously you want to win every night, but you've got to win one of the next three, of course. you know. And then if you go home, you feel like, hey, we've got a chance, even if they're down 3-2.
1: We're talking to Costa Kennedy, and we're also talking about Andrew Miller. We know from the hyper data, Andrew Miller, not a big social media star, only 30,000 followers on Twitter, doesn't do a lot. No, socially, but what he does do is strike guys out and doesn't give runs up. I can't recall a guy, maybe insta- maybe the last guy is actually Mariano, who was so good in the middle relief in the middle of games, and you could kind of move about, right. move him around and bring him into opportunities. Long, big, lefty. I was thinking about it the other day. You know, when he was a young pitcher coming in, he was with the Marlins, he was with a number of teams, very, very thin. But he always had that delivery that felt like the ball was getting let go almost right at home plate. He's so long and yep. and so lanky. I was trying to find the sort of someone who he reminded me of, especially as a big lefty. I couldn't really, but he is clearly a, a, a guy who has a chance to – you know, be a big-time pitcher in this series, and won the MVP of the last series. You know, I think you're right with him not pitching last night it was crucial, you know, for them. But keeping his pitch count down is clearly, you know, key key for them. Because if you don't pitch a guy like Bauer in game five, you know, they don't have a lot of guys to give you a lot of innings to get to those mm-hmm. guys. So I think you know, even if you need five or six innings to get to those guys, the pitching really needs to be you know on point. And the reason why is because this Cub lineup is lethal. And it was lethal before the addition of Schwarber, and now it's really, really lethal. So I wanted to get your take on the Schwarber sort of conversation, you know, some A lot of people didn't know who he was and how important he was. Now everybody knows who he is. Um, you know, what have you heard about his rehab and obviously him being back now?
2: Well, look, there was a lot of uh, question marks, obviously, at four or five best in the season, and that was back in April. So you, you figure, like, even if it's Babe Ruth, how do you come off after that? Obviously, the Cubs, and, and, you know, not surprising for Theo Epstein organization, they had this in their mind, and they were watching him and preparing him for exactly what has happened, right? And so although we in the media and we in the general public haven't seen Kyle Schwarber and say, hey, who knows what you're going to get on those five at-bats. Um, and while that's true for any expert, you never know for sure, the, the Cubs were pretty educated on, you know, the kind of balls he was hitting, what he was doing with uh, difficult pitches and difficult parts of the plate, and how he was, was appro- his at-bats were approaching through simulated at-bats and things like that. So this isn't a surprise, really, to the um to the cubs i mean of course you know he's been better than than expected but but the fact that he'd be a threat in there particularly as a DH in the dh in the first two games which is what he's there for um you know it, it's not really a surprise. look the guy's a great hitter um he he's had a lot of trouble defensively as we saw Last year, um, and particularly out in my field, so we'll see what how that plays out over the rest of the uh, the series. But there's no question, as you alluded to, that he makes uh, the, the lineup longer and stronger. And he will now, by his presence, almost no matter what. I mean, I expect that he'll still hit hit, but even if he strikes out a couple of times, he's back, right? And so he's another important figure in that lineup and, and a big upgrade uh, for them and, and really lengthened that lineup tremendously.
1: Two follow-up questions on Schwarber. One is, what do you see as his role in Chicago? Initially it was pinch hitting. Now it sounds like there's a chance he might actually play in the outfield. Um, you know, The second question is, what is his future? I mean, is this a guy who isn't will stay in the National League on the Cubs? He's such a great hitter, but he feels like an American League player because he feels like you know almost like a, a better Greg Luzinski, someone who who can really yeah, yeah no not have to ever play the field. You know what do you think is the future of a guy like that, and what do you think his role is in the three games in Chicago?
2: Well, so the first part, of his role—I mean, he's kind of arguing his way in. Um, it, 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 you're definitely, of course, sacrificing defense um, wherever you play him, right? And he could catch too, theoretically, um, but you're you're definitely sacrificing something. I mean, he, he, obviously, David Ross is going to catch when uh, when Lester pitches, and they they like Contreras, uh, and he's been good good with good, you know, throwing runners out. So it would just basically be in the outfield. Um, you know, it, 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 it's kind of clear what you're giving up. You're giving up defense. And you're giving up outfield defense no matter what. Uh, and I, I, I expect in game three we're going to see him come off the bench uh, as a pinch hitter. Maybe he comes off the bench early in the game if the uh, if the situation presents itself and then he stays in. I could easily see that. Uh, in terms of the long-term look he's only twenty three years old right, so he's not going he he's never going to be Barry Bonds in left field but could could he become a serviceable outfielder maybe he could that's another thing we haven't seen like we saw him basically burst onto the scene. Uh, in 2015, and butcher it out in the outfield, you know. And he's uh, he he played catcher, he played outfield, and he didn't look good either way. But but I I wouldn't if I if I'm the Cubs, I'm not giving up on the chance of making him a serviceable outfielder, making him somebody that's not a liability in left field. In which case. You better believe you want to keep him. I mean, having a hitter like that is not an easy thing. Uh, that said, you know, they're active, and if they get the right deal, look, they didn't have Kyle Schwarber this year, and they won 103 games and are in the World Series. So they have depth, uh, and he is a player that you could you could see trading because of the depth they have and because of his liability. So I think, uh, you know, we're at kind of a – an interesting time. I don't think he, I think he'll be on the Cubs certainly next year and his long-term future will sort of depend on how he adapts to, to playing more regularly on defense.
1: There was a lot of talk this summer in New York that the Yankees were trying to move Miller for Schwarber and I don't know how many Yankee fans knew about Schwarber and knew how, how well he could hit, but obviously a lot of them have watched and seen what's what's happened now. So clearly he's a guy who right. can you know, can really hit the ball and, and, and get it going. Um so well, listen, Ryan, so I mean remember like we saw we, I
2: just want to say, we saw him in 2015. Um, what do you have? 250 at bats or something like that. Look, he was he was terrific. He had 16 home runs and he and he could really hit. But and we shouldn't overvalue him on the basis of this World Series. Like he's a good young hitting prospect. There's no question. Uh, but we don't we don't know if he's going to have a Lazinsky career, right? And Lozinski not a Hall of Famer, obviously. He was a good, solid yep. uh, outfielder, but we don't even know if Carl, Kyle Schwarber is there yet. It, it, it remains to be seen. But uh, he's certainly certainly uh, you know obviously a prospect that you're talking about.
1: No question. Again, we're talking to the great Costa Kennedy. You can follow Costa on Twitter at Costas K O S T Y A Kennedy. Um, you know, I was listening to our podcast the other day, the one we did before the mm-hmm. season, and you know, we talked actually at a, at length about the Cubs, and we talked. You specifically talked about two players. One was Ben Zobrist, who has been phenomenal. Uh, just a classic, good baseball player, great hitter, um, and their and and his addition and how important he has been and and the other guy that we spent a bunch of time talking about and you had said you know you just can't believe his contract and it's all coming to fruition right now where he you know didn't play last night at uh, 192 million dollars and, and and Jason Hayward and we know from the hyper data Jason with. Uh, a little over 250,000 followers on Twitter and about 150,000 on Facebook getting about 30 retweets on every one of his posts Jason Hayward a young
0: uh
1: up and coming ball player with a, a controversial player when people talk about you know his numbers and sabermetrics and you know those two guys additions to the team this year thoughts on those two guys and 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 what happens over the next couple games with Hayward
2: well again, I think that uh I think we might see Haywood against Tomlin. Um look he 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 performed worse offensively than I think we, we we thought. Uh he he's uh you know, a guy who has doesn't have a huge upside offensively, but still, um, you know, over the course of this year to have a three oh six on base percentage is is not gonna cut it. Uh he he had that throw, you know, which um in the Dodgers series, that got uh, Gonzalez out of the plate. Even that seemed to me like kind of a—they got him out, but it wasn't a great throw. A little bit of a lollipop on it. Uh, I felt like he wasn't as intense as he might have been. But that said, Haywood, the one thing you say about Haywood, and it doesn't make him a $184 million player, but it does make him a valuable player—is that he tends to play the game really well. He's helped—he's uh, helped the Cubs with the base runner. He's helped the, the Cubs with uh, defensive positioning. He's a good guy to have on your team for the most part, right? Like he can help help you win even when he goes 0 for 4. Uh, so cool. I, I think that we're going to see him in the lineup in, in Game 3, and I think there's a lot of sort of feel in judging the, the situation. I don't know if we're going to see him against Kluber when we're, they're trying to get as much offense as possible. Maybe that's the place where Schwarber gets a start. Um, but obviously, Hayward is there because of the contract and because of his, his overall ability. He's there for the long term. He, he You couldn't move him right now, and uh, you know he's going to be he's going to be there next year. Obviously, the question is, is how much we see him. I think we'll see him at least in Game Three, and we'll go from there.
1: You know, it's funny. I actually was in LA last week and went to Game went to the uh, the Dodger Cubs Game Four uh, at Chavez, and I was at that was the game that Jason Hayward made that throw and Gonzalez. Right. So I I still don't understand how he was out. <laughs> I watched yeah, yeah, it a thousand no. times. I was at the game. I saw it on the big screen. I went home in the hotel and watched it. I just don't understand how they you know call could it, call it out, and obviously Gonzalez no I, I told totally the agree series
2: too. I could see how yeah. the I could see how the umpire in live time could have called him out because it was that close, but uh so I don't think it was like some horrendous blown call by the umpire with an honest mistake, very, very close, but I totally agree with you. It seemed to me so clear that he was he was safe on the replay.
1: No question. And, you know, it's funny with the Dodgers. That was the other thing you and I talked about on the podcast. We had both agreed that the Dodgers were going to maybe get in third in that NL West, and obviously they were – halfway through the year and then exploded in the second half of the year combined with Bochy's bullpen sort of completely blowing up in San Francisco. And I was stunned at how good of a season, especially with a first-year manager and, more importantly, no Kershaw for the whole summer, how well the Dodgers ended this season, you know, basically getting nothing from Puig. And, you know, as I said, no Kershaw for a couple of months. You know, your thoughts quickly on what you saw from Dave Roberts and the Dodgers this year.
2: Oh, I mean, you know, he he probably manager of the year. I think that he uh he he or Terry Collins based on the on the injuries that were sustained. Um, I think they got a lot out of Corey Seeger, right? Like maybe a little more than anybody expected. Um, you know, they 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 certainly overachieved. They were well well managed all the way. They uh you know, Utley was a with a solid, you know. 330 on base percentage, very solid. Uh they got a lot out of Justin Turner, I think more than than we thought. Um and they did uh you know, they 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 kind of uh, pieced it together really with a lot of injuries and a lot of like skillful usage. I think for me Dave Roberts is the manager of the year. Um and and there's no question about
1: it. And before we move into the books, I want to quickly talk about the New York teams as we have a big New York audience. You mentioned Terry Collins. Mm -hmm. So we'll start with the Mets. Cespedes opts out. Mets, you know, huge expectations this year, lose Harvey, um, struggle for half of the year and then turn it up in the second half of the year, specifically in August and September against a week, a week schedule and a super weak division. Um, You know, Cespedes opting out. I'd be stunned if they re-sign him with all a the issues and probably the long-term dollars that you know he's looking for. Uh, what were your thoughts on what you saw from you know Terry Collins' team this year? You mentioned his manager of the year. You why did you feel that way? Because of how they ended? Because obviously they had expectations that were really significant.
2: Dan, expectations are significant, but they were significant not predicated on the fact you didn't have Matt Harvey, Stephen Matt, Jacob Degrom. Zach Wheeler. They were all out. They lost their third baseman in David Wright, who was not a star, but was a an a, a average to above average uh, offensive uh, third baseman. They lost their first baseman in Lucas Duda for the entire season. They lost Travis Darno for the first half of the year. They lost Juan Lagarde for the first half of the year. The injuries on this team, and they lost Espíritu. Uh, was on the DL as uh, Jubal Cabrera was on the DL. Neil Walker missed the last two months. We can go position by position. Uh, this was not the mess team that anybody would talk about. If you if you would if you had we'd had this conversation before the season and you told me those injuries that we just discussed there is no chance anybody would have predicted them to be anywhere near the playoffs i mean they lost basically everybody of value on their team for a period of time um curtis granderson was with a very solid and reliable uh player but uh rare um so to me what what collins did now listen They played the same schedule as everybody else, right? It's not they played a weaker schedule. They had to get to where they got playing the tougher part of their schedule for the first five months. And then, yes, the easy part played uh, over the last half. But everybody else in their division was playing exactly the same schedule. So it's not as if, you know, they didn't have it any easier. Uh, And they got a lot out of Cabrera, Um, of course. He was not huge numbers, but big hits um you know he he managed to get some big hits out of kelly johnson uh Set, losing Seth is going to be a big deal because he he of course being in the lineup even though he wasn't overly productive over the last uh months or so uh, really changes things. he's a professional hitter he's the best hitter on the team however he's going and um that really just kind of you know they're they're going to need him to need him to be back
1: we're talking about Joanna Cespedes. We know from the hyper data, 145,000 Twitter followers, getting 4,200 likes for every one of his posts. Cespedes using Twitter a lot. Got a big, got a big social following and a, and a, and a big mouth and a big bat. I don't expect him to be back in Queens for 2017. Do you? Uh, it, it really
2: depends on the money and depends on. Uh, he was worth 25 million dollars this year. Uh, what, whatever we say about his numbers, he was the difference between them having that home playoff game or not. He was the difference between there being interest and sold-out games in the last part of the season. Uh, without Cespedes, they're not there. Quite simply, so I think that you know it'll depend a little bit on on what else, where else they can go. They suddenly don't have a lot to trade because there's all of these injury um, injury uh, issues on their pitching staff. But look, the Mets, if if they think that they're going to have um, some semblance of that starting staff, where they basically had six young, good pitchers. This is their time to win. So you're going to overpay for Cespedes if right. you get them at the right terms. Now That's I, I don't know if, if somebody is somebody going to give Cespedes six years. I don't know. Um, if so, then the Mets are out. If, if somebody's going to only give him four, then the Mets might consider it. Um, you know, right now would would the Mets do do four years at at Uh, $100 million? I don't know. Maybe they would. Uh, So I just think that if you look around on the team and you look around baseball, a guy like Cespedes is a rare player. Now, look, he drives everybody crazy with certain stuff, but he's a difference maker. So unless they figure out a way to replace him, you're not going to replace him by getting, you know, two uh, 280-18 home run guys. and and platoon them. That's just not going to work. So we'll see. We'll we'll see. I think he's very much in the mix. I'm not ready to say I won't see him in Queens, but um, I do think that that Alderson has been pretty creative lately, and maybe we see a deal there or else we see, um, you know, we see some other move made to bring an impact bat in.
1: It's just so important in this sport today to have a guy who can hit the ball out of the park, you know, or or has the right. threat to hit the ball out of the park. There's just not and that's why the Schorber thing is so powerful today because you have the ability to put a guy in who could smack the ball out of the park in one swing and there's just not a lot of players anymore who can do that at any time. So you know, you yeah, play makes a lot right. of sense. For, for, Four for a hundred. years, a hundred million would be a steal for 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 uh, the Mets if they can do something like that. So that would be you know, a home run. Out I mean, last Queens. year
2: they spent three. Last year they committed three for seventy-five with the with yeah. the opt-out, and that was seen as crazy high. So we'll see.
1: Interesting. You know? Interesting. And then. Move over to the other side of of the of, of the city, and the Yankees who did something I don't remember ever seeing any team do, which is sort of on the fly, um, make just extraordinary changes. You know, this is sort of the Cashman series when you look at the Chapman versus right. Andrew Miller. Phenomenon, But then you look at all the guys that were brought in, that they were able to bring in, um, and then compete at the same time. And that was really the most mm-hmm. stunning thing. In a year that you had basically nothing from A-Rod, a little bit from Tex, um, but they were able to really, really just change completely on the fly. Your thoughts on the job Cashman has done and what you expect out of this team over the next couple of years?
2: I think he did a tremendous job at the trade deadline and I think that the Girardi did a good job in, in getting him to play towards the end and they they were never really, really gonna you know, they were always kind of just on the fringe of the playoff challenge it was but the they but they I'd were interesting. Name. It was good. The, You're right, the, the beginning of that three game series.
1: No, no question, no, when they were they up five
2: nothing or right, and they lost yeah, that game in the ninth. and, it was and then five yep. one
1: or two and they had Batantis on the mound yeah. to close it out and blue, that was the game.
2: No, no question. If they win that game, maybe it's different. Remember, if they win that game, there's still a few games out. It's still, but whatever. your your point well taken. They made it a race. They had a chance. Um, look, they have they have something like seven of the top 100 prospects. Um, Gary Sanchez is not going to hit 75 home runs, but he's a he's a great prospect, a great guy to have. Um, I, I you have to really like what the way Didi has sort of developed and taken over the shortstop position, kind of yep. in the way they in the way they when they got him you know they 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 felt they could get him to be a more productive offensive player and they've done that he he's quite a quite a solid offensive player at shortstop um and and Castro too uh you know so they they have a nice strength there um, and I think you know we're going to see what Tyler Austin is. We're going to see what Aaron Judge is. We're going to see what some of these guys are. Um, but there's no question that they have a lot of young talent, and I think that this team is is going to be good for a few years to come. Uh, and they they've they've got to fill out a few positions, and they'll do that. You know, um, uh, they'll do that in the off season. So it's a little early to assess what their roster uh what their you know 25 man's going to look like at this point um they need need to fill some holes but they they definitely have the pieces in there to be a a championship contender uh for it, it probably not next year i would say but in a couple of years and then four or a few years
1: yeah, and adding arms is clearly where they need to you know, where they need to go now. It's it's enough with Absolutely. You know, Sabat had a really good year but they just need to get younger and Tanaka, they just need to get younger in the in the in the starting rotation and then they'll have a really interesting really, really interesting group. And again we're joined by sports illustrated writer and just incredible baseball mind Costa Kennedy and as brilliant as he is in baseball and all the things that we're talking about, he's even a better writer. Uh, when it comes to uh, books, and he's got a Pete Rose book and a Joe D. book, which are just two must-reads for anybody who uh, loves baseball and loves sports. And and Costa talked about this on our our last show. It was coming out and uh, just recently came out in September, I think, with a really, really good book called Lasting Impact, One Team, One Season, What Happens When Our Sons Play Football. And so, talk a little bit about how's the book doing. You know, a little bit about what the book is about, and uh, and how, how much fun has it been.
2: Oh, thanks so much. Yeah. So last year, it's about I followed a single um team, uh the team at Newshell High School through their season and kind of, you know, shimmering in the background is would you let your son play and what's going on with all these head injuries but it's also just a look at sort of what what goes on in the day to day of a football season, all the value it can provide, all the uh the, the discipline, the struggle, the whole thing um it's been' it's been I'm fortunate it's had terrific response it's getting really good response um, and really I learned a lot you know and this issue is not going away It's at the forefront of what people think about with with football uh, is is this injury and head injury question and and I really felt like you wanted to see both sides of it you wanted to see the value of football and the danger and look at it at the sort of base heart level of the game which to me is youth football and specifically high school because it's a critical time for young people for many reasons um you know it's 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 more serious more competitive than younger football for the most part you know there's certain places in Texas and elsewhere where youth football is extremely competitive but for the most part high school is where it gets a little bit more competitive and uh really eye opening to see the impact it has on these kids. R uh Michelle, of course is where Ray Rice went. Um and that whole incident kind of exploded while I was reporting my book. Uh, really interesting, great uh great thing to learn about and has continued to sort of uh spark conversation and and be be an important part of uh of the discussion on this issue.
1: I moved to uh, Short Hills, New Jersey, in February, and uh, my son signed up for flag football. And I've been coaching his flag team this season. We had 242 kids sign up for flag football. Um, that's grades oh, yeah. second through seven, and we had 41 kids second through seven sign up for tackle football. The the sport itself meaning football, take, forget tackle or flag, kids are fascinated with. My son plays every sport there is. All of his friends do also. But they all love football more than anything else. They love watching it. They love the the gear, the mouthpiece, the, you know, again, seven, eight, nine-year-old kids, but they just can't get enough of the, you know, the, the celebrations, they, the fantasy. They, they just love, <laughs> right. you know, love football. But when it comes yeah. to tackle, yeah. their parents are telling them, you know, no. So obviously something like flag is a great way to get that without mm-hmm. having the, the, the injury threat to a degree. You know, what have you learned when you've gone through this process and maybe some even of the feedback? Have you learned that that's true, that people just, just love it and can't get enough of it and will take the sacrifice? Or have you learned that people only go so far and people are starting to really pull their kids because there's some significant work specifically in the town that I'm in, that by the time my son, who's eight, gets to high school, they won't be able to field the team?
2: Well, look, I think the people's concerns are real. First of all, it starts with the kid, right? Um, Some kids love tackle. Kids tend to love football, period. Exactly what you're saying, whether it's just playing two-hand touch around or or whatever it is. When it comes to tackle, sometimes the kid will stand up and say, "Something." you know, it's one thing to talk about being hit, and it's another thing to be hit. Uh, And some kids... Some kids don't mind it, and some kids do mind it, right? So they're going to make a choice. Uh, I think that a lot depends on uh, who the coach is, uh, who, what the co- infrastructure is. Um, do you feel your your kid is in good hands uh, with the coach? That they going to learn a lot that, you know, if there is an injury, it's going to be addressed properly, all those things. If you're a parent, you have to think about those things, right? I mean, Football provides a lot of value for a kid. Uh, it's a great game, and it provides a lot, but there's no question it's by far the most dangerous high school sport. We know not boxing in high school, and, uh, you know, it's just it, – I know there's injuries in soccer. There's obviously injuries in hockey and lacrosse, but when you look at the numbers – uh, it's not even close. The injuries in football is, is the most dangerous sport. So it, it, it's a big question, and uh, it's a big question. You know, we all uh, parents all over the country stamp at night when their kid gets the driver's license, um, and that's something they need to have. Do you want to be up at night for football? You know, it's something people have to really think
1: about. It's it's absolutely true. And again, it's Costa Kennedy from Sports Illustrated. So Costa, two things before we let you go. First is. Buying the book. Where can everybody get the book? Amazon, anywhere else? Easy to find.
2: Yep, lasting impact. Uh, Costa Kennedy, as you said, and you, you can get it at Amazon, Barnes and Noble, wherever books are sold. Uh, very easy to get online. Uh, I have my website, which is costakennedy.com. You can buy it through there as well.
1: Great, perfect. And one last question before we let you go: Does this series go back to Cleveland?
2: I think it does. I think goes back to Cleveland. I still like the Cubs. Uh, but I think that, you know, the Cubs, as we've seen, they're a good team, but they're not a super team. Uh, they lost to, to the Giants. They almost lost twice to the Giants. Um, and they obviously got behind 2-1 to one to the Dodgers. I think the Indians will win one more game uh, of the next three, and then we'll see what happens in game six and seven. But I do like the Cubs overall.
1: Yeah, that was, that series against the Giants, boy, oh boy, that bochi ball. yeah, jeez, yeah, no, that was be, uh...
2: that, that was like the Botantas game, right? That 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 was like the oh, game we were God. just talking about, the ninth inning when it was five-two, yeah.
1: Oh God, it was—it's uh, brutal. But anyway, Costa, I can't tell you how much I appreciate the time today. You're—you're you're the best. I everybody's gonna go out get the book. Uh, you know, keep up the great work, and you know we'll enjoy the rest of the Fall Classic, and we'll have you on as uh, as we get, I guess, uh, pitchers and catches, which based on the schedule and timing, I think they report in about four days.
2: Right. Well, I can't wait for that, and I'd love to come on with you
1: again. So thanks for the time, Ryan. Thanks, Costa. Best of best of luck. I appreciate Take care. it. All right, it Kennedy from uh, Sports Illustrated. Just an incredible baseball mind and even even better guy. So I can't thank him for spending uh, 30 minutes with us today on the Fall Classic and his book, which is a home run and uh, following a football team from New Rochelle High School, Ray Rice's old alma mater. So head out and grab that book or order it online and, and enjoy yourself as you uh, read Costa's stuff, which is just, you know, great, great work. So thanks to Sports Illustrated and Costa for coming on today. Thanks to Hyper. Um, thanks to Crowdsline. Thanks to Pia Express for supporting the show. You can always subscribe to the show on Inside the Burger Shop on iTunes. Looking forward to a great show tomorrow. We're on at 4 p.m. Eastern time with the great Mark Kriegel from the NFL Network. Stay warm, everybody. Stay dry, as my man, Mad Dog Russo, likes to say. Adios.
0: Burger Shop. Burger Shop. It's the Burger Shop Podcast, the one that you heard about. Talking sports media, buzz and the word of mouth. Social is the currency, seeing what the buzz will be. Talking sports and culture, you never know what'll be. Coming next. Cause that's the type of podcast you listen to How about a hyper? brand? who the man? Yo, Ryan at the forefront Got it on my iTunes Walking through the storefront Listen to the broadcast Touches almost anything Sports, culture, media, technology, and marketing So listen to the man right ahead of his time On your podcast You can download or listen live So here comes the podcast Here comes your host The Burger Shop Now live from coast to coast In any way you want to do it Listen to the show Ryan got the insights Burger Shop, you know